This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday and that means it's time for a crack strategy panel and it looks like a good day for the Liberal government. We apparently have a new NAFTA deal, as you heard in Bob's news, and yesterday they unveiled their promised middle-class tax cut. The question on that is, what's not to like? But I'm not sure it is helping to answer the question of what is the middle class. This tax tops out when you earn $150,000 after taxes, which means you have to earn about 290000 before taxes, which I would think puts you a lot closer to the 1% than the middle class. And while I've seen widely divergent numbers on what constitutes the 1% in Canada, average income is pretty steady in everything I've seen, and that's at around, you know, $47,000, So what's middle class? And speaking of 1% and income, high school teachers who won't agree to the province's 1% cap on their wages are set to go out on another one-day strike tomorrow. What do you make of all of this? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I would like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, former City Councilor and current CEO of Variety Village, and Charles Bird, Managing Partner of Ernscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Hi, and welcome to you all. Thank you. Hello there. Good afternoon. Okay, so first of all, let's start with the good news, a new NAFTA. How important is that? John? Uh, well, I think it's important, obviously, for the sake of Canada and, and our um, uh, our um, jobs and, and our economy. I think it's great news. Um, you know, I've always, I've always cherished the fact that NAFTA was a conservative achievement back in the 80s under Brian Mulroney and uh, and something that uh, has been uh, has been cherished and for, for Canadians and for jobs and manufacturers for the last, you know, 30 plus years or so. Um, the fact that we've had to go through this new process with the new president uh, was a challenging time for, for everyone, including the, our prime minister at the time uh, and, uh, and uh, Minister Christia Freeland. But um, just last week, it was challenging. Exactly. Exactly. Well, exactly. just last week, it was challenging, but it's been challenging all along. And I guess there's, there's also devil in the details. We have to see what, what substantive changes were, were made or have been made and all that kind of stuff. And I think that there's some challenges with respect to any quotas, um, you know, with our economy being a bit sluggish or Canadian economy being a bit sluggish, you know, we need access to the to the American market. So hopefully the quotas that, that the, the president said that he wanted to make sure that all, everything was all made in America uh, isn't there or at least isn't as strong as we, we expect so that it's not limiting to our manufacturers and to our businesses here. But all in all, I would say that, you know, just having a deal with Mexico and the U.S. is great news for Canada. Okay. Uh, anybody disagree? No, and, and hopefully it sets the stage for further trade deals that can get signed and ratified and um because you know i think that um no one is winning when we're in trade wars with anyone uh, particularly if we're 
um, having conflict with the U.S. and China. It's not good for our economy. We're an export economy. We rely on these agreements. And uh, so hopefully it sets the stage for, for more. And yep. the pseudo-historian in me has to correct John on one small detail. It was Brian Mulroney who brought in the Canada-U.S. trade agreement, and it was actually Jacques Kretschow who brought in the North American Okay, uh, <laughs> Okay, the three amigos. <laughs> who could forget? Uh, moving along to that middle-class tax cut. So, um, I mean, again, what's, what's not to like, except I think it's going to benefit people who are beyond the middle class as well. Well, I, I, I'd say, you know, and again, as a conservative, I, uh, tax, cuts, tax cuts are great news, and I've always supported tax cuts, and our party's always been uh, uh, supporters of, of tax cuts. But it does speak to the issue of the middle class and, and the fact that uh, – and we've talked about it on the show before, too, Libby, the sense of what, what, what defines the middle class and who is the middle class. And, and you know, we've got, we've got a minister now in charge of the middle class, and, and I'm not sure that's, they – That's a little Orwellian, too, isn't well, it? Well, and I'm not sure they understand what the middle class exactly. is. Exactly. And, and, and does it, is it a moving target all the time? And it can be. And I'll tell you, people who uh, – families who make a certain amount of money that might be considered middle class, probably don't consider themselves middle class, given given the prices that are going up and all that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, taxes are taxes, and I think th- tax cuts are tax cuts, and, and those are important for um, Canadians to, to ensure that money is back in their pockets. Because I've always believed that uh, consumers are the best, you know, spenders of their own money and, and how to how to best use their own money. Um, but again, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, who benefits from this, and, and quite frankly, to see whether or not the prime minister, in his in his you know move to say that you know it's for the tax cuts, and he's always criticized Andrew shear for saying well we're all about the one percent well this creeps into that potential one percent uh of of those who might be benefiting from this tax cut so he might be careful of what he what he what he says and how he attacks uh shear on this well and i I do think as well when we think about the middle class um it it it, the middle class in a city is different than a middle class in 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 an outer suburban area and we've seen some of the pressures that uh, residents are facing in Brampton and the surrounding areas of the GTA. And, and I, I actually think that this is really um, partly targeted to where the Liberal support is, which is in the cities in Ontario, and that um, to, to help provide some relief. And um, if you're making you know, $100,000 in downtown Toronto, it's not the same as $100,000 in Sarnia. It just isn't in terms of what you can... Yeah, but you're more likely to make it in Toronto than in Sarnia. True, unless you're a teacher. Uh, but it, uh, it, those are the things that I think the Liberals, at some level, I'm guessing, um, are, are thinking about when they're, when they're thinking about who, this, who benefits the most from this tax cut. Charles, does this help them in a minority parliament? Uh, does this help them with uh, their friends in the NDP? Or is it a little too rich, rich to rich people? Well, I mean, let's remember that the liberals really campaigned on the notion of strengthening the middle class and like we all consider ourselves middle class let's face it if you're making thirty thousand dollars a year three hundred thousand dollars a year most people are naturally inclined to consider themselves as middle class so it is a bit of a a catch-all phrase but the reality is that any tax cut that delivers three to six hundred dollars back to an individual um, is a step in the right direction it is um, money going back into the into the pockets of taxpayers and that is inherently politically a good thing and ironically i mean that's one of the ways that conservatives have usually gotten a leg up on liberals, which is the, the, the constant cry of we will, we will 
bring you tax cuts. And that is, I mean, very, very difficult to counter politically. So it's actually good to see the federal liberals doing it. Well, yeah, it's interesting. And the whole question of whether you're middle class is it's a lot of it is psychological as well. I'm sure that we have a lot of people who are, for instance, in the skilled trade and, and make great money. Six figures might not consider themselves middle class because of they work with their hands, which is great. By yeah. the way, yeah. uh, so it's it's a whole head thing as well. But well, I, I've seen I've seen polling numbers that show that you know forty eight forty eight percent of Canadians are two hundred dollars away from not being yeah. able to make you know pay payments or something like that. There's a there's a there's a survey that's been out there that that shows how incredibly. Uh, tight finances are for yeah. for families, uh, and how uh, a lot a lot of folks who you know do survive paycheck to paycheck, and that all it takes is one you know bad news at, at work or a, a layoff or something like that that can literally um, you know be a difference between them making payments and them having to declare bankruptcy. That's the, the kind of trouble that I think we're in, and the and the and the fact that the economy is such a, an important factor. And it's interesting because we've talked about this during the election campaign, and and the economy and jobs weren't really mentioned a lot. There was tax cuts that were being mentioned by all the parties or at least the, cons- the liberals and the and the conservatives in some way or shape or form or another but jobs and job cuts or jobs and job creation really wasn't a topic uh, and you're seeing that now with the job numbers that are happening here in the last little while they're, terrible. They're, they've been terrible and, and that's a big sign of confidence now that we're going into the Christmas season where a lot of stores and retailers are expecting you know Canadians quite frankly Ontarians to spend money hopefully buying gifts. Well, yeah, and the the predictions, the numbers that I saw is that people are going to spend more than ever, except if their jobs aren't secure. They're not going to. They're- and, and not to mention, we know that we're, we've got high levels of um, individual debt with mortgages and credit. And, um, you know, at some point, it, 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 the government can't, like, how is the government going to address lack of savings and indebtedness? They can't. Uh, so the next thing they do is give a tax cut so they can give more cushion for families that are that strained as what well, they most, to, to they, the extent John was saying this this is one of the things they most certainly can I mean there's been a lot of conversations about the financial industry and about the extent to which they are taking it out of the pockets of Canadians whether through fees or you know and that's true of um, it it's true of pension companies. It's true of investment companies. And like government has some levers it can employ if it wants to. I don't think we're there yet. But if indebtedness and frankly, the number of seniors who find themselves in dire economic straits, if those numbers continue to grow, there is no telling what governments might be willing to do to alleviate their plight. I was going to say this. This minority government, I think, does is actually working so far. And mind you, it's only been but but uh, a this week. tax. Seems like months yeah. <laughs> that we've been talking about this minority government. But but nonetheless, I think it, it if it's it, it's allowed the liberals to do a tax cut, which I'm sure if it was a majority government, they wouldn't be doing it this early, this fast. Quite frankly, um, and save it's also, it for the next election. They would have, or or in you know near or at least an election time three years hence. But but I think it's it's caused that. And I think it's also caused the liberals to look at um, policies that the conservatives have had and that that Scheer sort of promised in, in the election campaign had he been elected prime minister, which is things like tax credits for those families with kids in sports and in arts, mm-hmm. things like that, where, again, you know, it's a tax credit to those who might be, t- you know, if two or three kids are in hockey or figure skating or whatever the case may be that might need that extra break. Those tax credits and when the economy is tough are extremely successful and quite frankly, popular. Yeah. And also for the little guy, right? Like, you know, Doug Ford made his name fighting for the little guy. Uh, the conservatives tend to fight for the little guy. 
Uh, and so now with the liberals, with their minister of middle class and their middle class tax cut, they can reclaim that ground and say, actually, we're the ones fighting for the little guy. Okay, well, yeah, that 290K, uh, that's not the little guy. I'd like to give the numbers out again, and people, what do you think of this tax cut? Uh, is it a good thing? I'm sure that it will help a lot of seniors as they uh, increase it. They're doing it by increasing the basic personal amount. Uh, to 15000 yeah. which is the amount you don't have to pay any taxes on. And, of course, on the city level, it comes just as, you know, John Tory is telling us that he's he's putting a big hike on property taxes, which is something that he promised not to do. He now says it's absolutely necessary. Council is completely on side. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, he doesn't seem to have taken really any flack on this at all. So people out there, what do you think about this increase in property taxes? We actually have discussed it here before. And, and you know, they always chime in that for seniors, you can defer your taxes, except older people generally like to pay their bills. They don't want to defer their taxes. I mean, you know, they're taking it out of one pocket and, you know, putting it in the other. Yeah, and I, I you know, admit I'm a big fan of the mayors and, and helped them uh, in the past. But I, it's one of those that I think, um, you know, those who are on the conservative side um, are are questioning it and, and sort of saying, you know, look at Mayor, you promised that you weren't going to raise property taxes. Um, but I, I would defer to to former Councillor uh, Karen Stintz on this because I know that she's debated this a number of times in, in council, and I think it's come up a few times with respect to, you know, how does the city. Uh, get revenue in order to pay for infrastructure, in order to pay for the transportation, given the fact that they have to rely on two levels of government. And those two levels of government are often political with respect to their money and how much they give and when they give it and all that kind of stuff. So there's some autonomy that the city needs to be able to say, we need to get our own money that we can then justify our own, you know, actions or, or, you know, promises that we've given. And I think what the mayor is trying to do is say, look, we're going to do it as, as, as little as we can. And we're going to put into a fund that's going to be directed to infrastructure and to other things like road repairs and that kind of stuff, as opposed to getting into general revenue, which of course then becomes a whole quagmire in and of itself. Okay. Well, here, what some people say is, you know, that's what he says. We're putting it into a special fund so you'll see where it goes, or we're putting it into a special levy so we can say, actually, we haven't raised property taxes, haven't done anything different at all. Karen? Yeah. Well, I think politically, it's a smart move to say it's dedicated for infrastructure. And the reality is Mayor Tory has promised a lot of things to a lot of people, uh, from park decks to, uh, you know, uh, uh, amending how the Don Valley Parkway works in the Gardner to transit to smart track to all kinds of other things. And, you know, at some point, uh, he's in a second term, and his ability to deliver is going to be based on the ability to fund it. And right now, we don't have that ability. And so I think part of what his message is, is we've got this big infrastructure gap. We've got to close it. Dedicated funding ensures that your tax dollars are going to be spent wisely. And, um, you know, I think it's no one's going to object this year. I think in a couple of years, we're going to feel the pinch quite acutely. And when it, when it goes up from... Right, because it's going to compound. Yeah. And it's already been set now. The, the path has been set. So uh, not a lot of people are saying much right now, but... Four years from now, it's going to be a very different landscape, particularly if we don't see the kinds of investments that Tory is claiming this fund will provide. 
Okay, before we get to Charles, you know, I promised to give out the numbers and I didn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, we really okay. want to hear from you. <laughs> okay, so the numbers, people, and we want to hear you on these property tax cuts, and then you're getting a little break from the federal government with these middle class tax cuts. What do you think? Uh, have you been able to count what it all amounts to? 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. And Charles Bird, your take. Um, I'm going to get myself in trouble here by saying Please. that Toronto ratepayers actually pay disproportionately less than other municipalities in Ontario, including the <laughs> province of, uh, rather, uh, including Ottawa. Um, that said, this is political nitroglycerin anytime you're raising property taxes. Uh, the mayor has undoubtedly built up a lot of goodwill. He continues to be very popular as uh, mayors of Toronto go. So I'm sure, you know, he's he and his folks have given this long and hard consideration, but it is still tricky business and very easy to get wrong. Yeah, I know. It just bristle when I hear that. Oh, Toronto taxpayers are, you know, uh, you know, uh, me too. Are, are, are the lowest taxed <laughs> in the entire country? Uh, because the reality is that the houses, housing prices are higher. Living is more expensive. We have tax and we have levies on water and garbage. Uh, we have, uh, you know, everything is more expensive in the city, uh, including houses. So the families that are living here are, you know, there's 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 groups of families, seniors who are house rich. Um, but income, but, but their income's flat and property tax does not take into account your level of income. It is a regressive tax. Then you have the new families entering the market that are house poor, that don't have a lot of room to maneuver, and they're being asked to bear the burden. Who, who resent the people who are house rich? Who are house rich. <laughs> and so there's dynamics in the city of Toronto that exist that are real, that other municipalities don't feel as acutely. And so, yes, if you have your uh, house in Markham, you might pay marginal higher mill rate, but the actual dollars that you're paying um, are are actually quite comparable when you when you're in and the city of Toronto. And the infrastructure, the reason ostensibly is because in Toronto all that infrastructure was done a long time ago, and you bet we can tell it was done a long time ago. And because the people of Markham and, and Markham and Vaughan and Richmond Hill, they all benefit from Toronto's infrastructure, and they don't pay for it. Yeah. And that's why Karen was an amazing counselor. But it's true, though, I think. And I think to Charles's point, which is why I think a lot of folks don't like Toronto, because they yeah. see that kind of stuff. But I think um, I think Karen's uh, made, the, made the point quite quite validly with, with respect to the cost and also the reliance on Toronto uh, everywhere else, And I think, and it, which is a, which is a double, double-edged sword, which makes us an important factor, but also makes us not well-liked in some cases. But And that's yeah. why the toll road discussion about the gardener and whether or not it should be for, yeah. from people from Toronto or outside of folks never really went anywhere because that whole debate started again. Okay, I'm going to get to the phones, but the the other thing this raises a question, you know, a lot of people have been saying, Tory's in a second term, he said that that would be it, and and then there was a lot of spec that he's going to go for a third, but but maybe uh, since he's putting in this property tax thing, maybe that means he isn't. <laughs> and, and John, do you have an inside track he on might, this? He might not have a choice now. No, oh. <laughs> no look, I think, you know, uh, John has made it public certainly that he was going to be a two-term uh, two-term mayor, but I think once he got in there and once he started realizing what was happening and 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 sort of realized that there's you know it takes a lot of time for things to materialize uh, and promises to actually materialize into into something great, especially when it comes to infrastructure and transit and others. Um, that that you know he wanted to keep the third term uh, option open. I'm not sure he's made his decision yet. Uh, I think that it's uh, there's still some time for him to make or that decision. Barb has. 
or quite frankly, Barb has. Um, but, you know, I think he is enjoying it. I think the fact that he won and beat Jennifer Kiesmat mm-hmm. by a significant margin last time was, you know, was an indication that he's, you know, popular and well-liked. I think the fact that they've now got counsel halved uh, to 25 is making things a bit more um, challenging in some ways. I think better in counsel for getting things done quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? But I think it's, I think he's leaving the option open. Okay. Let's take a couple of calls. We've got George in Etobicoke. Hi, George. How you doing? Guys? Fine. How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm hanging in. I'm 93 years old. Oh, I've goodness. lived in this house for almost 70 years. Wow. wow. And, and, and one, one, the taxes at one time, like this used to be New Toronto, where I am, and the city took us over. Then the city took over Etobicoke. And the city's getting the benefit of all the money from seniors like me that are paying school taxes that don't have anybody going to school for maybe 50 years. <laughs> John Tory has never had a job like you and me. That oh, yes, he had. Well, women. he's had very he's good jobs. And he's got a lot of damn nerve taxing all people that are struggling to get by in this city to pay for people. Like, nobody give us uh, a subsidy for our taxes or, or subsidized housing. And, 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 and I, my, I had my children long before OHIP, and I paid the doctor and paid the, the thing. And there's all kinds of people in this city that are in the same situation that I'm in. And, and, and like, he's got a lot of nerve taking money off hardworking people that want to sit back and relax now. And and you know what, George, first of all, I want to say to you, kudos, kudos, that at your age, you are still in your home because you're living the dream. Well, uh, hey, when I retired, gasoline was 42 cents a gallon. <laughs> and, and Do you still drive? Two or three dollars increase, you know, now and then on my pension. And I'm struggling to stay in my home. Like, uh, when I first retired, I quit driving because I couldn't afford to drive everywhere I went. But now that I'm 93 years old, I I can't walk the same. And the streetcars are a pain right in the head, too. (laughs) You know, I got on the streetcar, like I still drive, I have a license. Wow. But I got on the streetcar on the lakeshore, I live on the lakeshore, you know, just below the lakeshore at, uh, at Islington Avenue. And... As soon as you get on the car, they start moving. Like you know, you, mm. you, you yeah. And and then they don't take your fare. The conductor doesn't take your fare in these new cars. So you, you got to go down and fish out like uh, a yeah. change to put in the machine there, or or you could have a, a senior's ticket, like you know, and you got to put it in a little slot and punch it. Like, and the streetcar's going, and I'm on a cane, and I'm, I'm hanging on to the cane with one hand, and I'm trying to do all the rest of this stuff. Like, if, if those streetcars are for, to help seniors, I, uh, I got, they got another thing coming. And there isn't half as many seats 
on those cars. They're 100 feet long, and, and there's only half as many seats on those cars as the old street cars we've had here in the city for years. Okay, I George, I, I appreciate you've given us a lot to uh, chew over there. Thanks so much for your call. Okay, okay. I got it off my chest anyway. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah. You'll feel better. Thank George you. George better. But, okay, well, um, I think let's take a call from Susan. I, I suspect she has similar things to say. Hi, Susan and Orton. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Not too bad. Calling because I had a fit when someone gave those quotes on what is called middle class. I'm a retired social worker, 30 years of social work in downtown Toronto, moved out of the city. And I struggle all the time to make ends meet, although I'm still considered to have a decent pension. Nothing has been done either by the city or by the federal about seniors. We're the largest percentage of the population, but we're getting no attention at all. I well, just don't well the, the government would say otherwise. They they have done a few things here and there, but it's tough on a fixed income. Mm-hmm. Well, it, you know, I should not be considered fixed income poor, but I am. Uh, money, the old Peter Paul routine is definitely there. Well, and I think, and I think it speaks to um, the issue of you know how how tight things are out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. the real the real the reality is that you know this middle class uh, issue is a nice political moniker to be able to say I'm fighting for the middle class. But again, it, it, it to everybody, middle class is a different meaning. You know, to to this caller Susan, who says she's on a fixed income and might be you know meeting things uh, on a, a meeting ends, making ends meet. But yet, at the end of the day, is she considered a middle class the government, and that, would she be considered to have that tax break a benefit to her or not. You know, that kind of stuff, I think, is where the governments are are really fighting this. Susan, one of the things the Liberals promised, and I don't think that they've moved on it yet, uh, and I don't know how old you are, is a 10% boost to old age security for people over 75. Hmm. Not quite, but I'm getting there. Well, good. <laughs> so, there there well, are like, at least one thing to look forward to on that birthday. When but, I say I'm on a fixed income, I have a private pension from the company I used to work for that adds to the pension. But my mother just passed two years ago at 90. She had the basics. I had to spend half of my money supporting her because she didn't have enough to live on. Yeah. And we were living out of the city. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. I, you know, people who are caregivers have to use money from their own pockets and they save the system money. Um, well, you're, you're out of Toronto, so at least you're not getting that property tax hike. Exactly. Oh, yeah, my dear. Well, I get, I got hammered. I had no idea when I moved out to this area that it's horsey territory and our taxes are as high as Toronto. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, well, there you go. I hope you like the horsies. Thanks, Susan, for your call. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. But your uh, former, your former, the former caller, George, yes. George who's uh, 93 years old, and God bless, he sounds like he's a, a 60. He sounds great. He, he sounds yeah. fabulous. But, but again, that's. Not, the, 93 is the new 60. The new okay. 60, well, yes. <laughs> well, that's wonderful for all of us, uh, you know, getting there. But, um, but I, I think his point about John Tory and the frustration with respect to his property taxes, he lives in Etobicoke and, yeah. and in a sense, again, that's the challenge that the mayor is going to have is, mm-hmm. is folks are going to be able to say, you know, it's, it's hitting me hard and I don't need this kind of stuff. And that's, I think, the challenge that he's going to be facing. Y- yeah. And again, that, you know, we, oh, I was talking to some city councillors, like, and they were, we had callers, older callers complaining about it. And, and, you know, they were corrected. We have this program. It's been in place for a long time. You can defer your taxes. And, and 
generally speaking, older people do not want to do that. They want to leave what they're going to leave. They, mm-hmm. they don't want to leave their taxes for another generation to ultimately pay. Mm-hmm. Well, but Susan, yeah. talking about her mother there, that mm-hmm. really puts a big spotlight on what is going to be a crushing public yes. policy issue in, the, in yeah. the coming years, which is just the sheer number of people who are seniors and who are living longer and who are finding they may or may not have enough to live on. And that is going to be one of the most challenging public policy issues of our time. Well, it, and how, do we, how do we fairly look after these folks? And it, well, it's also seniors taking care of seniors. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, we, we have situations even now, you know, you've got 70 plus year olds with parents who are over 90. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, you have to remember, that's a good thing because we're living longer. That's it, exactly. And the other, the other thing that comes to mind when I hear both of the callers is that income inequality is that other great boogeyman of public policy issues, which is to say that, you know, you know I was alluding earlier to there's a fundamental risk to what Mayor Tory is doing in terms of hiking property taxes. And if you're somebody who is house poor yeah. and income poor, and all of a sudden, this is happening. I mean, you are, that, that frustration is further exacerbated, and and it's very real. I mean, if you're having to choose between medication and heating your home, then that is a very, very real issue. The other issue that George, the caller, uh, and this is something that McCarran, good as former TC, TTC chair, can can address, was the fact that the streetcar <laughs> getting on it is starting yeah. starting right well, away. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's I, an I, issue. I think. Well, no, no, no. I mean, they're always trying to make their uh, their schedules, but yeah, I mean, th- it's, a, it's yeah. It's it's difficult for somebody with some level of mobility issues. Mm-hmm. He's right. I mean, I have trouble if I'm carrying too many things, you know, fumbling for, for keys. We all do. But I, I think the other issue that uh, George raised um, in passing, but is one that I think we need to pay attention to collectively, is that when people feel that they're under pressure, they tend to be less generous around who else they want to support. Mm. And one of the challenges with this budget is that it's for affordable housing, which is an identified need in the city. But if people feel like they can't even afford their own housing, they're less inclined to want to support someone else in their housing needs. And so that's just the other thing that, um, again, with all the pressures on the people living in the city of Toronto, um, it, that's when, that's when, um, people get angry and resentful. Well, and, uh, you know, uh, don't get me going on another thing, but, but we're here in Liberty Village and, and, um, we're part of the BIA businesses and, and, you know, if you have a business here, you don't vote here. And, uh, you know, in terms of our city councilor, uh, you know, treats us like we are the quote basket of deplorables. So, <laughs> and generally doesn't even bother responding, but there are a lot of issues. Right. And I've talked to the mayor about this. We, we have a, a quote emergency shelter here and there, there have been a lot of issues. But you know, if if you're um, from a business, they they don't they don't matter. And I mean, I'm talking about dangerous things: people passed out, uh, mm-hmm. people being accosted very early in the morning when wow. they come to work. You know, yeah. So and and yeah. those are the things you have to pay attention to, particularly if you're asking people to contribute more. Right. And especially for a counselor. It's an issue that they, he or she, I don't know who the counselor is here, but should, should be obviously be taking. Doesn't quite, care about us. Stock, <laughs> we don't vote here. Right. 
And a recent yep. survey of food bank users in Toronto found that an increasing number of working people are having to rely on food banks. Mm -hmm. And these are generally the folks who are making minimum wage, $14 an hour. And that's, that's a very, very difficult situation to be in, to be sure. And it puts enormous strain on the amazing people who provide, you know, food bank services and, and who have to rely on the, on the, uh, the goodwill of others to, uh, to keep things going. Well, I remember uh, being involved with the food bank when it first started and the idea of the food bank was they wanted to put themselves out of business, and that is not happening. We actually uh, covered covered that last week, but I, I think that's a very interesting point that that Karen mm -hmm. made, and probably you are in the nonprofit sector, so mm -hmm. you would get to see some of that spillover, or is it is it different? Oh, it's different because again, we um, our target areas, uh, families with kids with disabilities. And so we provide other things so that they don't have to spend money on programming and then potentially become vulnerable in other, in other ways. So because programming, if you have a child with a disability, it's extremely expensive. Oh, yeah. And so we, what we want to be able to do is to provide a safe place and a, a, an affordable place so that everyone can come and play. And Libby, it's the holiday season and we don't say it often enough, but what Variety Village does for the people of this city is just remarkable. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. And all of her, all of her staff and all the people who support Variety Village. Here, here. Here, here. Yes. Is that a good note to, to uh, end the conversation on? I'm just going to go around one, see what you want to leave us with for the week, starting with John. Well, in the south uh, of us, obviously the impeachment, see how that all plays yeah. out. But here uh, close to home, I think the um, the fact that the, the NAFTA, the new NAFTA is going to be ratified and see how that plays out and uh, and and how the government, both, both governments are going to be playing out the next week or so before the House rises to see what, what they come up with. Karen? Yeah. No, I think it's, uh, I think they, uh, we're not done yet on the teacher strike. And, uh, so we'll be probably talking about that next week and see how that plays out. Hopefully they'll have a deal by then. But, uh, I think that's one issue that is still percolating that is, um, problematic for both the teachers and the government. The Leafs have got to start scoring more. I mean, <laughs> come on. We got some of the biggest guns in the game and they're not putting it, they're not putting the biscuit in the basket. And, uh, no, I, I think, um, I agree with both my colleagues, but what's happening south of the border is quite amazing. I mean, it's only the fourth time in American history, 250 years worth, that we've seen impeachment proceedings. And this one feels different. This feels like there is a, a rogue element. Uh, in the American administration, and uh, huge right, but it's of not going to go anywhere. No, <laughs> it's not going to go anywhere. The Senate is going to shut it down, and and um, and the president still maintains fifty percent support, which is which is yeah, he'll probably and, get reelected. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it might end up damaging the Democrats. Yeah, I mean. They're in their own reality there. What can I say? But listen, if a goddess a new NAFTA deal signed as a result of it, then hey. Maybe we'll take what we can get, right? I'm glad they slipped it in right before the, uh, the fun begins in the trial in the Senate. My well, God. And, you know, these things always go somewhere. I mean, it's inertia, right? It says that an object in movement stays in movement. And this thing has to resolve itself. It may be that Republicans in the Senate vote as a block to save the president, but the charges against him are considerable. They are of great concern, and this thing will have ramifications far beyond our ability to see into 2020. Well, okay. Maybe. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. We will see you all back here next week. John Capobianco, Karen Stintz, and Charles Bird. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.